Gentlemen, start your engine. Good afternoon, radio. For those who don't know, Radio Hotler. Thanks for coming and making time. It's on everybody's mind. For those who don't know, there's a big shebang. Sorry about that. Diabolical uh, um, um, technical goodies. Radio Hotler. Oh, cheers, boys. Cheers. Cheers. viewers, welcome to episode 84 of Radio Hotlap, that zany podcast that takes a light-hearted look at the world of local and international motorsport, emerging cool technology, gadgets and barbecues. That's JP on my right. Hello mate, how are you? I'm good, thank you Johnny, how are you? I'm good. It's long been a time long... no show. Well, it's like, yes, not that we haven't been together, it's just that for one reason or another, I think it's the longest gap we've ever had uh, for the right, viewers. Too. Yep. Well, viewers, we have to tell, we have to confess that owing to technical difficulties, the podcast that we did before Johnny went overseas to Le Mans was actually aborted and you didn't get to hear it. Um, but we did actually sit here for a full 45, 50 minutes uh, crapping on about all sorts of things like we normally do and only to find that, um, well, didn't quite work. There was out. a button problem because was you see, what had problem. happened, viewers, is I'd been up the road uh, doing a podcast for JP's uh, Apple computer operation with the uh, built-in microphone thinking to myself, okay, we'll be back here in the uh, world headquarters of Radio Hot Lab studio where we use the high-tech mixing desk in cooperation with Skype and all other sorts of cool technologies. Um, I switched the uh, input selector on the side of the iPod dock to line. But then again, we went... Let's just go al fresco, and I plugged the microphone in, and we didn't end up having the input coming from the right uh, dangler. So, so it was uh, a bit of there was no audio for forty-five minutes. Anyway, it's but anyway, good I'm story. good. So it's good to see you back. Yes, I'm good too. Excellent. What are you drinking? I am having a uh, a Linfield Road double gold medal, hundred uh, percent Merlot. Uh, now I, I decided. After going to Europe, we'll talk a little bit more about that later, that I decided I needed something which was a little bit less of a fruit bomb ah. than what we've been having over here. And uh, this one comes from uh, Williamstown in South Australia, a 2002 Linfield Road. Uh, quite pleasant indeed um, for about $22, a Barossa Valley winery. The wines in Europe... I was having uh, specifically at Le Mans and then uh, with Lars Eric Nielsen up in Copenhagen uh, were very French, meaning they were very soil based yes. and had little fruit component that what we uh, are used to here now. Um, changing to that palette, it, it was difficult initially to, 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 to come to, to grips with it. Yep. Uh, you sort of like it felt like something was missing from the wine. Mm. But then coming back here and tasting the fruit bomb, I go, given the choice, I'd rather go to the soil wines. Well, apparently, uh, according to uh, Patrick White's column in the Independent Weekly last weekend, I think, they just did a blind tasting through a load of uh, wine uh, connoisseurs and um, uh, people in the industry um, in the Barossa Valley. And it's the first time, apparently, that the Barossa has looked 
to um, taste the wines purely based on whereabouts in the valley they came from and what soil they're grown in. Traditionally, that's never been a thing that's been done over in Australia. And apparently it's now starting to take off. And they're basing that on the European experience. And it was quite interesting to uh, to read his column last week because there were a lot of notes about the, the soil based, as you call it, um, the tastes of different wines from different areas, even just in the Barossa, um, depending on what they were grown on and, and how and, and what a big variation there was. So um, I suppose you your, your palate changes with time, JP, and I think that I've found that the wines here, whilst they're very lovely, we, we need to, I now need to be a little bit more selective, um, which probably means spend a little bit more. Yep. Uh, and, and the 22 to $23 wine is now sort of moving up into the 30 to $32 wine. Yeah. But then when, when, you, when you compare it, you know, people take a slab of beers home, mm. and, and which is much more than that. 40 bucks these night. days for a slab and of beer. Really, what yep. you, you want to find something that works for your palate. Yep. Um, I, predominantly, uh, the wines provided uh, at uh, Le Mans were um, Bordeaux, but we'll talk about that a little bit more. But, yeah, it's interesting hmm. how you change of palate. What are you having? Are you having a change of palate tonight? No, I'm not. I'm just having a Cooper's Light. Thank you, Johnny, because I've got to drive home, and that's always the issue. But so. it's one of those there drinks you that you just love having yeah. because you can have the full flavour. You can. And, and drive home. That's right, exactly. After right. having maybe a glass of red with your meal. Well, that's that right. may not just be a, a small glass of red with your meal. Well, it's a fair bit to sort of go back well, on. Well, there would I be think, too. Yeah, it's a long, long, long time of, uh, of what's been going down. I, uh, I don't really think that it's easy to work back in time rather than to just sort of look what's there and uh, we'll talk a little bit about what's been going on in the last few weeks that I've been away. But JP, yep. you've been on Local Soil. It's all about local content. What's the latest? Well, there's not really been two. I mean, we've been in between races, obviously. So uh, we've we've now got um, uh, Darwin coming up, Hidden Valley coming up this weekend. The so, uh, sixth uh, round of the V8 Supercar Championship, yeah. or seventh round, after Sandown, uh, the weekend that I went away. That's right. And that was a very good weekend, actually. That was a good race, Sandown. I really did enjoy that. Um Little bit of a uh, bit of wet weather there to uh, spice things up, um, but uh, very very interesting uh, in, interesting racing and particularly good TV coverage I have to say. Um, I didn't see much of uh, the Sunday because remember it was a long weekend uh, the weekend you went away, so they actually raced on the Sunday and the Monday. Now there was quite a bit of. Um, conjecture and criticism and things in the uh, in the motor motoring press the following week about whether or not that was a good idea or a bad idea and i think the overall was let's not race on mondays anymore it was boring as batshit uh, the, the crowds weren't big enough everybody was making use of the long weekend oh that was the june long weekend it was, was it not? queen's yes. birthday mm. So is it actually the queen's birthday no it's not it's nowhere near the queen's birthday the queen I mean, had a birthday about, about three weeks most. before so why do we call it the Queen's birthday? Because it's the nearest well, thing we to it, and I don't have know. have it on a Friday? Who knows? I don't know. I give Wouldn't up on the weekends. Wouldn't rather have a Friday off than a Monday? No. It's always yeah. good to have a Monday off, because you don't get Monday-itis, then you just get Tuesday-itis, but, you know. No, I think that people are more <laughs> likely to ramp up for a bigger Thursday, because everyone yeah. goes out for a bit of a drink on Thursday nights. So That's true. Yeah, a lot, lot of Friday, people do. So Thursday, and you're going to have a mm. Friday, and then diddle it, and back yeah. to normality again. I think yeah. that's the better the way. Well, it could work. Right, let's start. Let's finish the week with a high, as opposed to start it with one. Yeah, good point. Because it's sort of odd, isn't it? Mondays, oh, I don't know how to party. <laughs> well, that's right, and nobody obviously knew how to party at Sandown. But anyway, so they got that. Right. So moving on from there, 
as I say, it's been relatively uh, relatively quiet in between times. It was noticed... quite a good showing there from Shane Van Gisenberg, the young 18-year-old yes. at uh, Stone Brothers Racing, um, and also for Jamie Wincup to bring his championship uh, efforts back online. However, that really doesn't uh, cut too much mustard with uh, the Ford Motor Company of Australia, who yesterday, the 2nd of July, released a statement saying that they would be cutting significantly back on their specific V8 supercar uh, sponsorship commitments. But a a larger branded statement was saying that, look, we we are evaluating our needs, and certainly with a diversifying market and choices for people, we need to know where we're getting our spend. And the, the long and short of that is, from all that marketing waffle, is that the cashola is only going to be going to FPR, the ProDrive operation, which is and natural, as you would Stone expect, Brothers. considering Steve Richards and uh, and Mark Winterbottom are yep. doing so well, and the rest of the cashola to James Courtney and uh, Van Giz at Stone Brothers. That's right. Now, the others might seem like they're left out in the cold. Certainly Triple Eight, which yep. has a great business engine already in place yeah, like the, a very strong uh, like team the the will be getting some support that means yeah. that the rest of the teams need to up the ante a little and yep. work a little harder on their commercial alliances although in this in this uh, environment here there is only a certain pool of money it can only be shared around it's harder to find money from outside Australia because unlike Europe we don't border on different countries which True. have different uh, uh, marketing budgets that can be shared around through the different nations. However, Ford is providing transitioning uh, budgets to allow all the teams to become up to speed with uh, the new FG chassis and also yep. a crash program uh, of spare parts to help them along there. Um, and uh, yeah, Triple Eight would be one of the teams that people would think are going to be getting the support. Yes, well, you'd like to hope so. But uh, no, they they will be in the same basket. They are there are the two teams, uh, uh, two FPR, official factory the teams. ProDrive FPR yeah. team and the Stone Brothers team. The rest are out in the cold and yeah. will be provided with spares. Who knows what Holden will do to counteract that? I don't think they're in mm. the General Motors Corporation worldwide is not quite as. Uh, in difficult a position as the Ford Motor Company. Now, now they have said here in this release that they are cutting back on motorsport um, to two Across teams. Ford. That is within Australia. Obviously, they have a very strong program overseas with the WRC support. Yes. Um, and certainly even more so in the NASCAR program, mm. let alone the engine programs they have. Well, I mean, uh, let's face NASCAR's, NASCAR's home turf for them. Um, so you know they, they they've got to be seen, and it's a huge market too. It's a numbers game, JP, yeah, isn't it? You know, you've numbers. got to have and the people. The um, you've got to look. I mean, and you've actually. I mean, okay, why you say three hundred million people be, over there? Holden of course, you're going to do the maths. You're going to get exactly. the boys. Holden might not be uh, going. You know, Holden. You said that you know you thought maybe Holden aren't cutting back quite as much. Well, I think that remains to be seen next year. Now, um, you've got to look at the fact that you've got two. Two manufacturers here in a two-manufacturer championship um, that are pushing cars that are getting less popular. And, I mean, the big thing about V8 supercars has always been that the average family man, in inverted commas, can drive the same-looking car, at least, um, that he watches on, on weekends. But now there are less and less people or less and less of those same family men driving those cars on a week-to-week basis. Um, so therefore the manufacturers have obviously got to look at how much support they give 
to that particular category and those particular size cars. And you know, for a moment there, I thought you were going to go into a waffle on about oil prices because I thought that was complete. That would be a completely irrelevant no, topic, touch uh, on oil specifically because the uh, the fact is that as the cars have developed, some of these more uh, the larger engine cars through the uh, enhancement of uh, engine management systems have become very economical, right. and in They're fact, a lot more, more so than they used to be. More so, uh, so many cars are now mm. more so efficient than my uh, Subaru Forester. Mm. Um, on top of that, with the change in the uh, the, the price, the Australian dollar has become very strong against the rest of the world. So in real world terms, it's not actually costing any more to buy your fuel because money you would have spent on technology items from the other parts of the world, computers, i.e. Apple computers or or white goods manufactured from Japanese manufacturers or or big LCD or plasma screens have become very cheap. They have, exactly. So I think it's a bit of a status quo and it's not really seen. So certainly, if the travelling distance and fuel component of a family's budget is going to be a large proportion, yeah, that 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 could uh, affect certainly. their buying yeah. outcome. So the moral of the story is: live close to the city or where you work, and buy a nasty V eight that sucks gas. <laughs> is that right? Or just spill petrol. And while we're on the FG Falcon, I I noticed that. What's um, that stand for? FG, yeah. um, Ford goes. Don't draw me into that one. Um, <laughs> and where was I? Oh, yeah, I, I see um, that uh, they were actually testing the new FG against the Holden up at Woomera. Um, VASA were was Simon uh, Wills up a, there again doing a test. No, I don't was think he in, Wills was, was, he was, under, there. was he undercover? No, because no, I hear no, the latest no, no, noises. No. He's actually going V8 Ute racing. Yes, he is. Well, I, you know, he's been looking after Charlie's Ute supposedly. So, um, well, Charlie, has it been would make some uh, make some sense that uh, he uh, raced South the Ute Australians for keeping in touch with each other. That mm. must be an extension of the dynamic brand that ran the supercars a few years ago. Out uh, near uh, the uh, Stillwell operation of uh, Dennis um, o, yes, International yes. Ryan. Yep. Father of Paul International. International Paul himself, who you caught up with in Le Mans. Don't digress. I'm not digressing. So anyway, yeah, so they ran all these tests up there so that they could um, check all the uh, Project Blueprint stuff and the uh, and the differing uh, under trays and aero packages and everything else just to get a handle on what they're going to do with the FG when it comes on strong uh, comes online next year. So uh, they've all been out in the uh, the not so sunny South Australian outback. So here we go. Further on the Australian landscape, what's been going on? Well, there's been a huge up uh, upheaval in the Australian GT Championships. Absolutely, there has been uh, a bunch of different factions out there that have been wanting to run uh, the Maserati Trofeo Series run by uh, none other than Rod Wilson, the Australian Pirelli importer, who uh, was uh, quite a successful racer with Kangalotas. Yes. And uh, Giannis Derrams and, uh, and Gary McDonald um, from uh, Alan Porter's uh, operation back in 0506. Uh, a nice bloke, but has decided to come up with a solution that, in some respects, is not a solution. It would be a solution if you were the only people wanting to run GT cars, and that was to provide uh, people an, an opportunity to, to race at a venue where there was no TV, where you got free tyres and no one came to watch you. Uh, 
Um, so <laughs> therefore, that sort of like cuts through right. the bone of, yeah. uh, of, uh, of 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 Australian GT racing, and and really there is not enough people to go around uh, for this category. Everyone needs to get together, have a big group hug, and think of it as a bigger thing. Yes, and that will then improve the uh, uh, opportunity for manufacturer involvement. And that's exactly what the Australian GT uh, uh, Championship Management has done with uh, with uh, Rachel and Martin Wag and Terry Little. And they've looked at it and they've gone, look, well, there's not enough love going on down the back of the field. So no, they've decided there's not to... enough at the back of the field, full stop. Well, they oh, are. That love. is because it's been, it's been uh, piecemealed by the other uh, insurgents. So what's uh, been decided is to run three championships within the one. So the first one, obviously, is GP, G, GP, uh, GT Championship. The yep. second one, GT Challenge. And GT Production. Not taking anything away from the Production Car Championship that was right. GTP yep. or well, the uh, Pro GTP. Car. Yep. Yep. But yep. the Definitely eligibility the is there. So, so you know, you, you're looking at... Uh, cars like the Alan Simonson's Ferrari 430, 430 uh, championship And that would be in the elite category. In the elite category in yep. the GT Championship, along with uh, Bryce Washington's uh, Lamborghini Gallardo, although he's no longer uh, in there. And uh, the Aston Martin DBRS9, the uh, Dodge Viper, and the Ford GT, which incidentally was a huge, uh, hugely fast car at uh, Snetterton, on the weekend I arrived in England uh, three, oh, yeah. three weeks ago, uh, which uh, uh, absolutely cleaned the field, despite having been given a 30-second penalty to wait each time. Every time you pit, you must wait for another 30 seconds stationary with just simply to try to create a parity right? there. Yep, and that uh, didn't uh, really... Uh, so there was no way... No, there's no weight penalty because it hadn't uh, achieved any any race success, so it would be unfair. Well, to it wasn't going to waste thirty seconds in the pits every. Time. Well, it won the race. <laughs> it won everything. Unbelievable. And uh, and and there did it look couple... as good as it looks uh, in the flesh? As it, good in, in photos? No, I have to say it didn't because you know a lot of race cars once they live it up, you really can't yeah, tell can't, what they look like. What's underneath? However. Yeah. The two drivers in the car did have particularly good-looking girlfriends <laughs> with long legs and pink stockings pink who stockings. were cousins. So that helps. Oh, and I thought, and everyone was going, geez, we'd like to hit on them. Well, I thought, well, there's two opportunities for a whole weekend at British GT. Race one and race two, that's two hours. Because the guys, they were the partners of the guys in the Ford GT. Well, they, well not that they're in the, same, in the, in the car at the same time. <laughs> But uh, reverse roles assumed. Assumed, uh, you, you you could get a look in. You could, if you were. Quick. And it was nice weather on at Snetterton. But we're digressing as we move on to the second championship yes. uh, level, the GT Challenge, which would incorporate the Ferrari 360 GT, the Michelotto car that the Triple C yes. uh, ran for Alan Simonson and then Chemicals. Craig Baird yep. later in the year, the Ted Hugler knows, which is Sunset, Sunset Clause in the GT Championship, allowing it to now uh, to be effective in the GT Challenge. Um, same along with the 430 Challenge and the Viper ACR Corvette C5. The C06, the Z06 car in the main game. But more importantly, and this is where manufacturer involvement, JP, comes into it, is the arrival of the GT Production Championship. Now, this sounds or, or no, like GT a bit Production. More fun. Oh, be careful. GT Production Championship. Champion. 
where it allows uh, cars like the Australian Performance Car Championship M3 and HSV Coupe with the, the Monaro, Nissan yep. 380Z, and then also, the very importantly, the Aston Martin V8 Vantage N24. N24 named after, which is effectively a GT4 car named after the Nürburgring 24-hour right. event where it was uh, was trialled and, and, uh, and, and worked to provide uh, a, a really good uh, a solution and a package for the customers. That car is eligible in the Asia uh, Championship Series, which is right. all run under the banner of uh, Stefan Rattel and the FIA GT Championship. Had a good chat to Stefan at SNET. More about that later. And, uh, and now you're getting um, an opportunity for cars that to bring into the championship yes. at the high level to be then moved down through the tiers to provide the drivers in the lower tier an ability to move into a better car and at the right price as their as their skills improve and they yes. also their personal desire to move up the ladder. It also gives the ability to car, take cars out of the Bathurst 24-hour, a 12-hour championship yep. that uh, Bill West and Craig Denio, the, the promoters of the V8 Utes at Spherics have so... Uh, um, uh, well, what have they done? They've done a good job of it. Yeah, that's uh, right. Superbly, <laughs> superbly right. But they've done a really good job of it, yeah. putting it in there uh, and, and making it work. But there is opportunities now for these cars to do other things during the year. It doesn't mean they can't come back and do that. And they can be moved. And so there's there's room there's to play for, 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 drivers, for drivers to increase their skill to move yeah. into the next categories. They each get their own podium. They each get their own trophy. They run their own race. They get their own... Whilst a group TV package and it's held yeah. as, as one race, I see it as just a win for everyone concerned well, there. Sounds, certainly sounds like a great GT idea. In the GT Championship concept. And with Stefan Rattel uh, wanting to make a really now uh, going to build the World Championship uh, of sports car racing in 2010, now's the time to get all this framework in, in place. place. In Australia. Correct. Yeah, as it needs and to, Asia. because yeah, because there is. It's it's what about the Japanese GT Championship? Because that's always been very big over there. Well, the Japanese GT Championship is a bit of an enigma in its own right because it's sort of very super local GT, and, yeah, as it's known. Uh, which runs mm. the GT three hundred and GT five hundred cars. Uh, the uh, the previous war race winner of. Uh, of it was uh, at Fuji was uh, none other than Richard Lyons, who had partnered yeah. Alan Simonson That's in right. the uh, the better electrical uh, V8 supercar with and back in the day, Wayne Garner and the Vodafone car last year to hmm. a very a, a good result of fifth place at Bathurst. But um, it's uh, it is a bit of a, a championship within its own right and very much production. Uh, sorry. Uh, a, a manufacturer base there. I really can't comment on it because I just don't know yep. enough about how the breakdown of the manufacturers and the money and all the sort of stuff works. But there, it it is predominantly a Japanese championship that I think has tried to expand a little bit outside of uh, Japan. Very much about selling cars, which yep. has some high-end uh, Western... Uh, non-Japanese motorsport refugees like Ralph Furman and and obviously Richard, not saying that Richard is a, uh, a refugee, having no. won the championship back there in 06 and also had been the the uh, the Formula Nippon champion. But uh, yeah, quite a few people that uh, either fall out of uh, a form in the, in, in the West 
You don't yep. get a Formula 3-seater, GP 2-seater, uh, Formula Renault drive, Formula Nippon drive, whatever, or sports car drive. Well, they go and do that. Yep. Mm, well... So, so the GT looks like it could be good GT next year. GT is making well, a resurgence saying. in Australia. We hope. Uh, two weeks' time, uh, first uh, race of the new concept at Eastern Creek. Hopefully it will go good. Yeah, hopefully it will indeed. So. Um, tech, what's going on, Techland? Techland. Well. 10.54 has been released and the iPod 3G is coming up in a moment in time. <laughs> the iPhone 3G. You said I- iPod. iPhone. Did you? I F-O-A-M. Foam. If lost at sea, <laughs> click here. We will float so you yes, to So, yes, the a... iPhone's coming July 11. Wah, 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 wah. Um, Telstra's supposed to be running two weeks late. So, at the moment, we've got Vodafone and um, uh, Optus. Three are running a... Um, a website where you can go and uh, vote and try and convince Apple that three needs to uh, get a gig to do it as well. Um, so yeah, that's all. That's all ticking along quite nicely. Um, finally, we've actually got some uh, some figures and some uh, uh, feedback, although not from Apple, I must say, um, on what the outright buy prices will be. Um, I believe Optus is quoting six forty nine for the eight gig and seven ninety nine for the uh, sixteen gig. Um, yeah, so that's the iPhone, and yeah, you know, I think there's been enough hype about it and enough blah blah everywhere else in the in the mainstream press, and yeah, we'll see we'll see what happens when it arrives. Basically, well, I think those prices will be based JP uh, on uh, prepaid three G uh, uh, purchases. Uh, Optus has uh, said that seven twenty nine for a eight gig. And uh, eight forty nine for a sixteen gig as a prepaid purchaser, but as a postpaid purchaser, a person who runs an account and is prepared to go on a plan, things start to get a little bit uh, more sensible with seven yeah, plans, seventy bucks, seven plans yeah. on order. Now I'm going to pick what I would go for. I think okay. that I would be going for the eighty nine dollar cap plan, which right. would provide me with eight hundred megabyte of mobile internet data. I'm a bit disappointed that it's not open ended, and we'll have to just see how heavy use those phones are. Yep. Um, I get $600 worth of call, um, and it's obviously it's an $89 monthly spend. Now, every time I... It's and a two-year contract. Two-year contract? Yep. Uh, actually, there's an option of one or two years. Oh, is there um, so, I, okay. so I'm going to gonna look at it. So people go, well, what does that really mean? Well, if I get $600 worth of calls, how is that busted up from my uh, $89 plan? It means my call is $0.35. Cents on a national rate for 30 seconds. So we're 70 cents per minute, which means that you do 600 divided by, so when you work out, you're gonna get about 90 minutes of calls. Right. Okay, 92 minutes of calls. You're up for another 35 cents um, every time you wanna make the call. So each call, which is coming off for every, the first, your first minute or your first, 35 seconds, the 30 seconds is going to cost you 70 cents, and it'll be a a, a, um, a dollar five for your first minute with 35 cents after that. So uh, you can see that your time could be pretty much used up pretty quick, or yeah, rather, your, your yeah. cashola. 
uh, standard uh, you know, national uh, text SMS. Yep. 160 characters, blah, 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 25 cents. But if I want to own the phone, of course, I have to pay for it. Yep. If I was on that $89 plan over 12 months, I'd have to pay $33 a month right. for that phone, which isn't really too bad. But if I was to go to 24, it would be free. Yeah, that's the so big So I can yeah. walk into that. And uh, that's uh, really, it sounds like uh, a quite an okay plan but beware uh, viewers these documents that these companies are putting out optus and telstra which put some out and then pulled them again today uh and uh, vodafone who has yet to uh, put their stuff out naturally yes. probably waiting to find out what is going on with the other two they it is a myriad of complex Yes, scenarios, fine which is exactly where cho the Choice magazine uh, of Australia needs to step in and go, if ever the consumers need to know what the fuck they're buying, <laughs> this is it. Yeah. Because uh, it is more complex than buying a home. <laughs> yeah, it probably is too. Especially once you start adding data plans in there now. Because that's a whole area people have never traditionally even have to worry about. And it is a bit rude. And I think it, it's, it's, it's terribly, in fact, it's terribly rude that... Here was an opportunity for one of these telcos to put their foot forward and say, let's not be assholes. Yeah. But mind you, they're probably buying the services on top of, of Telstra, yeah. which is just complete fuckheads. <laughs> and uh, is that, you know, it could have been free data. It could have. It could have been free data and everyone would have had a great time and learnt a lot about it. So I mm. think um, there's still a lot of maturity to come uh, from the uh, the telco providers yep. in terms of the packages and the, the bundles they're offering. And I just think that it all goes back down to the decision makers that have got no idea about why the hell you want to give this content and, and the and, 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 and access out to people. Yeah. Because no, it's just it just it seems pointless to limit people because you're only going to piss them off and they're going to get massive bills and they're going to get really, really disappointed. You've got a great phone that you're going to be so encouraged to get rich content from and you're yes. going to be penalised for trying. Yeah, well, that's a very good point, actually, Johnny. And that's the thing is, being, uh, is about being penalised for trying. And about, uh, as I said earlier, people have got no concept because it's so new about downloading so much stuff onto a phone and, and viewing that content on a phone. And until yeah, it, they would have been better off with a, a very soft um, focus in terms of data downloads and whatnot while everybody got a feel for it. Even if it was like for the first six months, you get not necessarily unlimited data, but a, a double what you would normally get while you get a feel for what the hell goes on and how much you're likely to be using. And then you get a chance policy. to change your cap accordingly in that first six months a fair use policy would be most prevalent yeah but i can also understand that think about the fact that they have a lot of existing customers locked in to plans yes they have limited data and they're not using iphones and suddenly if they go they do that and you get a big corporate go well yeah we've got twenty thousand customers in our corporation that are buying stuff from and you're charging it you just just roll this thing out now, they're going to get, face some backlash. One could argue, naturally, well, that's evolution. True. And, and hence, this is a new product. We have to move with the times. They go, well, that's fine. You want to keep us as a customer? Bust it down. 
Now, with all the profits that Telstra or the big corporations in the telco market are doing, and I'm not singling Telstra, but I think we need right. to because they are more relevant because they're yes. also now threatening to pull out the copper in the ground to, to sabotage the ADSL2 network That's right, exactly. around Australia. And yep. we don't want to move away from the, from, from motorsport. Mm. But, of course, these, these are the networks that are allowing you to be able to watch instantaneous motorsport through uh, YouTube. Yep. And, uh, and 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 take advantage of the, of the in-car streaming technologies yep. at gigawavemotorsport.com uh, that uh, the, the, the same company behind Allen and the FIA GT Championship and the Aston Martin that yep. are working with um, MotoGP and Formula One. And also when you saw the Olympic flame burning on the top of uh, Mount Everest, it yes. was Gigawave behind that <laughs> delivery mechanism, a company providing transmission and... Algorithm, algorithm technology. Mm. But it's yes, I think algorithm. I think it nearly needs to it needs to take a, a mature approach to it. And I personally believe that uh, there are a lot of very poor thinkers in this space that are looking at profits by sector. Absolutely, and that's just not okay. And I think there's some opportunities to be coming up in the future, perhaps for brands that have been left outside that. Yes. Like you say, like three, yep. Virgin Mobile, mm. to come up and go, let's innovate. Yep. Let's set the standard because we're in it for the long haul because these other guys, they are just trying to recap their multi-billion dollar investment oh, on the 3G network made back in 2001. Mm. Just the right to play in it along with Qualcomm. Well, not only that, but I mean, if you take the likes of Optus and Voda, um, they already acknowledged they were miles behind and, uh, and they accelerated their rollout so that it'll be finished by supposedly this Christmas. So you could buy your nice new iPhone on your Optus plan as, as you've just read out and uh, maybe be on the fringes of uh, a large city somewhere, um, you know, up the uh, east coast or whatever, and you might actually get crappy coverage anyway after you spent all that money. So, well, Absolutely. You know. I think, you know, I think we've, 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 we've spoken enough about that. Yeah, and, I do uh, too. I'm sure Ziggy's uh, having a nice little relaxing moment at home, <laughs> uh, counting his uh, coins. I've no <laughs> idea what network he's with. Probably uh, one of each. Very likely. Oh, dear. So anyway, um, at the beginning of the show, it was like, well, more about that later, more about that later. Well, tell us all about Le Mans. Le Mans was a drier event, JP, than it had been in 2007. Well, you didn't drink. Yes. Uh, actually, I had more on-track uh, <laughs> alcohol. Uh, thanks very much to Vanessa's uh, hospitality service, a wonderful uh, uh, facility right there in the centre of the paddock, which is pretty much dedicated to the teams, mechanics and uh, and, and some of the, the drivers that uh, don't have specific corporate hospitality suites. They are naturally Audi and Peugeot and... And then the Corvette and all those sort of guys, all they have their big, big things there. But, but it's a pretty nice, uh, nice operation. Well, I suppose the GT two teams, right? Uh, because uh, you know there was uh, yeah, a Rishi Competizione with uh, Micasalo and uh, and uh, and Ginny uh, 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 Bruni and all those guys are in there for a meal. Everyone's in there, like the Farm right. team and the, that I was with. Anyway, that was all good. Great food. Yes, more wines in the compound <laughs> this year, <laughs> but the weather was uh, the weather was decidedly better. Well, uh, the week started off uh, with scrutineering on the uh, Tuesday 
in the city of Le Mans. Um, now that's at, a traditional uh, thing, isn't it? Yes, it and everybody is, and stands around uh, and takes photos, uh, and the teams all pose and all that sort of stuff. I won't do the French uh, translation of it, but it's a place de Jacobins. <laughs> I'm not yeah. so good if I'm uh, incorrect <laughs> with that, but uh, whatever. Um, where everybody basically brings their cars in. There are two days, the Mondays and the Tuesday. Um, and uh, there is a huge uh, throng of the local population that arrive there, uh, especially when the Audi and the Aston Martin and the Peugeot uh, LMP1 transporters arrive, where the car is uh, is brought out for the first time for the right. public to be seen the Peugeot or the Audi and then lower down off there well the the media people are on the top <laughs> of the transport shooting out with their wide angle lenses they really are great photos to be seen and that the people are very very uh, interested obviously the cars are taken down all sorts of friendly chatting opportunities drivers are a little bit scarce there's a bit of a, a center compound there for the drivers heavy security even more so this is the heaviest security i've ever seen at le mans the four times that i've been there uh, the cars then go down through a technical scrutineering process around the the place um which is probably about the size of, of a soccer field right uh, not, not not really that big it wouldn't be as big as the side of amy stadium or but you square it off like once you put the things in there and it's yep. tree lined and there's a monastery up there and it goes up on a sizzle lift, lift and it goes down and then it gets all these other sort of things at, to go out to a large forecourt where the public can there be standing to see the team photograph that yep, is done which is, for uh, each car yep. that will appear in the Le Mans yearbook. All good, 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 good. So the Farbusher car, the Ferrari 430 this year, a couple yes. of teams I happen to be uh, involved with, it was the uh, Farbusher Ferrari 430 of uh, uh, Pierre Eret, yep. uh, uh, Pierre Kaffer and Lars, Lars Eric, Eric Nielsen. Nielsen. Um, Lars Eric Nielsen was obviously driving with uh, Richard Westbrook and Alan Simonson in the 997 uh, GT3 RSR, Van Porsche in the Le Mans series with their with their, their, their <laughs> co-team um, uh, teammates. Unusual for a team to run two different yeah, variants in GT2, yeah, splitting their resources. Yeah. But uh, one car got the entry, and that was the uh, uh, the Arete Kaffa car. A third driver was re- required, and, uh, um, and Lars Eric has stepped in to that gig. That left Alan Simonson, of course, without a gig after the demise of the Taffel uh, racing uh, program where he was due to share a, uh, a car, uh, 430, of, of similar specification that he had raced successfully at the very hot and bumpy uh, Sebring 12 hours earlier in the year with a Dirk Mueller and a Dominic Farnbarcher, Horst Farnbarcher's son, who was uh, there present at uh, Le Mans. Um, but uh, prior, just prior to uh, Le Mans, various uh, communications, uh, independently of each of us, um, we had managed to uh, collectively wiggle on to a drive through Lola, the uh, German Krauss Schiller motorsport team um, run by Hardy Schiller and uh, Kai Krauss, a Lola LMP1 race uh, run by AGR in the ALMS program last year year with a Mazda factory support, uh, Mazda Speed, Mazda uh-huh. coming back to Le Mans for the first time since the uh, uh, the victory 
1991. Was it that long ago? It was, the with the orange and green Renown branded 787 Mazda with Johnny Herbert and the capsicum sprayer, Bertrand Gachot. It was, doesn't like taxi drivers. And it was another driver too, but I can't remember who it was. No, I can't either. Someone else can tell us. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Someone, someone will uh, email us. Uh, they were very pleased to be back there. Uh, the car was uh, 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 quite a, a solid chassis. Very, very good with the corners. Um, speed w- was relatively fast down Mulsan. Although these cars do work on you know the Porsche curves, and that's where they're going to make up their money. They're a little bit of an underdog. Right. The chassis, uh, the LMP2, replacing the LMP675 cars of 03, um, and the uh, LMP1 replacing the LMP900, the panels cars, as yes. we saw in uh, in 06. I saw Gunner Jeanette there, who had yep. done such a great job there in that uh, the the last uh, um, the last sighting of the old panels, the JML cars. Mm-hmm. And uh, in, in the Radical, I might add. Uh, anyway... Um, it was uh, a bit of a, well, a bit of a lottery on the Wednesday night. Let's look at the, uh, let's look at the first team. The Lola Mazda and LMP1 Allen's team, who was teaming up with uh, Jean, de, Jean de Portales, a, uh, a Frenchman who is an investment banker living in Singapore, and uh, Hideki Noda, who, uh, a Japanese driver who had won the uh, Japanese Le Mans series last year. Uh, on the uh, second of the qualifying sessions in the evening of, uh, of, of the Wednesday, uh, about a little after half past 11, uh, had Diki had come past the start-finish line having done his fast lap and uh, trundling back, managed to uh, somehow get a wheel offline just part the fast the start finish line in a ditch that uh, sent the car uh, airborne uh, straight okay. across the Dunlop chicane coming up to the hill to before the Dunlop bridge um, which uh, then forced it across the road it ended up in the gravel trap digging in and rolling eight times there was nothing left of the car uh, at all um, bits of engine component and gearbox. The chassis was compromised. Thankfully, uh, Hadeki was fine. The and I talked to right, him a little bit afterwards. Now, yeah. of course, you can go, uh, viewers, on to www.2008lemons24hour.com and see video uh, galleries uh, and audio and stories exactly as I have told it. Um, from the week there at Le Mans, including the accident uh, that has been uh, put in there from YouTube. So it was uh, a bit of a long... Uh, uh, the, of course, the session was red flagged, and yeah. that was the end of qualifying for and the Wednesday night. Had Alan actually driven the car at all at that stage? Yes, state? Alan had spent three laps in the car three whole in laps. the first earlier <laughs> session between <laughs> 7 till 9. <laughs> right. And uh, the car was uh, really much, it was pretty much a case of, well, we're not going anywhere. Um, everyone was very long-faced, and I walked back into the pit bay to say, look, um, guys, actually, I've, I've been to Le Mans a, a couple more times than you guys, and I've seen some pretty uh, 
unusual things happening. Specifically, what re I recall in 2002, uh, Brian Herder having a big crash in the, uh, the, the panels, yes. the Spirit of America car, in the Porsche curves, uh, for it to be caught in a position where it was unable to be attended to by the fire marshals and a uh, part of the carbon fibre chassis was, um, was softened by heat. It was, uh, all, it was all over, mm. but uh, one of the English uh, got, uh, a composite engineers, Scotty, had got up about 10 past three in the morning. I remember knocking on my door and said, Johnny, we can fix this. So we all rushed in there and basically it was, uh, I didn't do anything, but I think I shone the light and poured a few beers and the thing got built. And uh, so you, you can never give up because the car can be sorted. Luckily, Mazda had a fresh engine ready to go. They were going to do a change after the Thursday night qualifying and had a part for, sorry, the um, the, uh, the Krauss-Schiller Motorsport operation. Mazda had an engine, but the Krauss-Schiller Motorsport operation had spares at every other every other part of it. Now, gearboxes and things like that were fine, but it needed to be, it needed to be sort of, you know, things needed to be right. Yeah. The, the, the chassis was compromised uh, uh, in, in that there was a slice into the carbon fiber under the front left bottom corner and a penetration at the wishbone pickups. Rather than the team going and saying, look, I, I don't want to uh, like pronounce it dead, everybody stuck to their job. And that was all the engineers that were on the team and the mechanics went, okay, I'm a gearbox engineer, I'm an upright engineer. And they built the components ready having everything ready for the car to come back should it be repaired in time for all the components to be clicked on that was a really good strategy and sure enough the right composite engineers were flown over from lola being their 50th yeah. anniversary uh to uh, of the lola chassis and there were quite a few other lolas there right. with uh Charouz racing and jan Charouz, uh, the son of the boss of Charouz racing um pushing the new uh, lola lmp uh, one uh, Judd engine chassis out to, to at, compete at the petrol level, let's say, in LMP P as into LMP D. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, the tenacity uh, paid off for on Sunday, Saturday morning, or actually very late uh, on Saturday, Friday afternoon, early Friday evening. Bear in mind that it, it doesn't get dark till 11 in the evening, or almost right. 11 in the evening, that and the, the uh, Le Mans try to run their events on full moons. They're very close to the oh, summer really? solstice. Yeah, they would be, yeah. Which is the 22nd of June. But mm. they try to run their races on a full moon weekend, hence to maximise the amount of light for both the viewers yeah. and the drivers, yeah. not just the spectators. Very clever. See now, so, there's, a, there's a fact. Uh, that's, there's some strategy in realize. that French madness. <laughs> the, the car came back, the components were, were bolted on, and uh, you will find, if you go to www.2008lemans24hour.com, the video of the car being readied and rolling out with a huge clap yeah, it goes okay. out um, at the beginning of the uh, warm-up session, Saturday morning of the race. The car started on the grid and went through to survive 11 hours and 40 minutes before a component, a transmission, ancillary transmission component external to the gearbox uh, failed, uh, leaving uh, Jean de Portales 
stranded on the exit of Mulsanne Corner mm. at 20 to 3 in the morning. I should be pointing out at this point that Sean uh, de Portales, a, uh, a refugee and a quite a successful one from Formula 3000, has uh, a uh, prosthetic arm. Right. He has one arm and uh, drives with his a detachable arm onto a special steering wheel where his arm clips into. The guy's a good steer. Chan spent one hour there, one-handed, lifting up the back of the car and resetting dampers and all sorts of components in an effort to get the car back to the pits. It wasn't right? to be able oh, right. uh, to, to happen, but a massive effort from, from, uh, from Jean to be able to do that. Uh, Alan triple stinted, followed by a double stint, who was also to be the fastest driver in that car. There were a few long faces there in the pits from the Mazda and the LMP, uh, the LMP2 Lola t- uh, Krauss Schiller team. But only needed to be pointed out that this was the longest time their car had ever run in a Le Mans race. Is that right? <laughs> Considering they had uh, achieved three Le Mans series starts earlier in the year of six yeah. hour duration, not, being, not, a, not starting the Monza race with a, uh, a crash in practice. And, and hence, uh, 11 hours 40 is better than six. Absolutely. Yeah, well. To the other side of the garage, and this is lucky, uh, JP, because uh, the uh, Ferrari, the Farmasha Ferrari 430 of uh, Pierrette, uh, Pierre Kaffer and uh, Lars Eric Nielsen were directly next to the Audi garage. So, um, but three doors down right. was the... The Lola. Uh, oh, right, so you didn't have to right. far to run I didn't have to go from yeah, one end of it. Was the, yeah. the press room was far away. <laughs> um, the car was was had, was very strong, and they were running second in the Le Mans uh, series. Not that the points from the Le Mans cha- uh, Le Mans twenty four hour can- uh, 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 has anything to do with the Le Mans uh, series, but uh, the pairing of Arret and Kaffer was very very strong. Uh, Lars Eric has arrived in there to drive the car now. He is a Porsche specialist yes, that's right. and has done very, very well. Having come previously third in the 997 with Orlando last year yep. and uh, and second the year before with Farnbusher. Uh, obviously, he was going for a first. <laughs> and early in the week, had bothered to go and uh, buy up all the trophies at uh, the local uh, decathlon store so he would be able to have one of each should he fail to do that. More information <laughs> and video going back to Tuesday on www.2008lemons24hour.com or larseericnielsen.com. You'll be able to find it Eric with a K. Um, Lars's uh, only problem with the car was that the uh, the Ferrari GT3, a GT2, uh, has a no vision behind the bulkhead. So right. you're very reliant on the mirrors. doors either side for their mirrors which stick out. There's also a small um, LCD panel on the uh, lower part of the dash yep. over where the centre console is that will allow you to quickly glance to see what is behind you. Probably in the night time, just bright lights which you know <laughs> yeah. they are there. Um, with a mirror gone, it was a difficult uh, uh, scenario. Now, take us through drive. this mirror. I mean, I read the, the press release, so I know what's happened, but the viewers don't. 
So well, I'm just saying that it was, it was difficult. Was it was difficult for Lars to be able to go there to be right. able to get in this car without any rear rear bulkhead view yep. compared to what he's driving, and had to adapt to that very quickly. Now, bear in mind that when you are when you are coming up against prototypes, or rather, it's the when other way around. To you. They're coming up to you. They, especially the diesels, very quiet. Now, Pierre Kaffer who had driven very successfully for Audi as a works driver in the R8 and also had been working strongly with, with Audi in the R10 traction control development program, had said, Johnny, up to 220 kilometres an hour, you can't hear anything except a couple of gearbox noises. Over 220 to, two th- to 320, you hear nothing. It is like you are flying a plane. The diesels are that quiet. That so right? you can imagine that when they come up a foot lower yeah. than the eye level of the driver in a GT2 car or even a GT1 car, which has probably even got less vision, it just wiggles past you and uh, you don't see it. Um, if you, Unless you're looking in your rear view or rather you... Uh, yeah, well, you see it go past, but you don't know it's been there. Was, yeah. I think Lars was feeling a little bit awkward about that. But he put in a massive effort and drove the, the event of his life to be as successful as the rest of the drivers putting in the multi-stints to yep. uh, in the tough uh, the tough parts of the event, including the toughest section, the dawn break, where you would drive around the back of the Porsche curves where the bacon would be sizzling in the morning coming through the ventilation. <laughs> we spoke system. about that last year. And he hated it. Bacon. This year he's going, I don't like it. I heard him on the radio. He's going, Johnny, I want some bacon scissors to throw out to the crowd so they stop that. Luckily, his prayers were answered with a small downpour. The smoked bacon smell came through, which was even worse. Now he said, could I just have some with the Danish grill oil? Which is not even Danish, mind you, Lars. It's from Sweden. Mm. More about that later. They came third, which is an absolutely sensational result uh, in adverse conditions with rough weather coming in towards the end of the afternoon. Again, a brilliant, brilliant job yes, by certainly. those guys. And, and uh, I think the Ferrari was the car to have because it was Ferrari's one through five. The um, uh, Alex Davison Felbermayr Proton car was unlucky to uh, run into some engine uh, problems or gearbox problems. I'm not sure with mechanical problems, obviously, uh, in the morning that would have probably had it in the top five there, but uh, I think they finished six, so oh, that's, well. that's disappointing. Well, they did a great job, no doubt about so that. It's a good event. Certainly, you need to go to uh, Lars Eric's uh, website and read all about it because I. Uh, just reading and, and looking at what I did when because you were sending me stuff back, obviously, I thought it was fantastic. It was very, uh, very good to read, very fascinating. As you would at alansimerson.com. Yeah, Alan absolutely. Well. Same deal. Oh, JP's got to go do wee wee. <laughs> <laughs> You're not very nice, are you? And you want me to have a bit of a chat? Well, that's okay. Oh. I'm not actually calling for a break, but that's fine. You just keep talking to the viewers and I'll just nip through here. That's the trouble with that light beer. (laughs) Well, I will. I'll continue to talk to the viewers. Okay, what else we got? Right, Rusty Sausages here with a new giraffe, um, all brought back from Europe. I didn't check it through customs. Rusty Sausages is up on here. Now, um, Alan Simonson, more on the subject of him last weekend. 
first win at uh, in British GT for the year with himself and Hector Lester in the Christians in Motorsport Ferrari 430 GT3 at uh, Thruxton. A huge uh, crash had ensued uh, in front of them and clever pit strategy put them in front of everybody else to take their first win of the series. Alan having not been quite as lucky as he had been in the first two rounds of FIA GT at uh, Adria, steamy Adria in Italy, north of Venice, where he had once again driven the Gigawave Motorsport uh, Aston Martin DBR9 GT1 with ex-Audi Works driver Philip Petter to take sixth place. A bit of a goat track. It was always going to be a uh, an event that was uh, uh, going to suit the cars that were able to sprint out of the slow corners. Um, can you turn that thing off? That's the diesel. Oh, it's the diesel. Oh, it's oh, spooling. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Do you like to hear it? Hold on, I'll do the proper bit. Here you go. Oh, yeah, that's right. It missed the chicane. It went straight through. It's <laughs> barriers in there. That's right. Um, Otherwise known as the washing machine. The Corvette was always going to be a good thing. This weekend, Osserschleben, a, uh, a squiggly track in, uh, in uh, central Germany. Um, Al's driven there before in European FIA GT3 in Is that a high track? Is that a high altitude track? That no, it's not a high altitude track because oh. it's German. Well, There's not a lot of high altitude in Germany. have got mountains in Germany. But it's not high altitude. Well, that's why I was Moving away from those guys, let's talk about uh, this weekend in uh, Darwin. Jack Ellsgood will be once again fielding the Coopers, uh, Delmej racing uh, a a green V8 Ute having had the car completely rebuilt once again after the dismal disappointment that he had in the West. A fresh engine from local supplier Lindsay Dive Ah, the Lindsay Dive who has also built the beautiful sneaky engine for the uh, the Piranha but also his his son Brendan Dive Grew up and karting, and they're right in the local area with Ryan Briscoe. Lovely bloke. Ryan Briscoe is indeed. And uh, great to see he's doing well overseas, taking his first uh, indie win, I think, at Milwaukee. Yes. And... um, Everyone seems to be going pretty well. Everyone's going well. It was the same prize last weekend. But there you go. He went all right. No, it was his first race. At uh, moving out of the Nationwide Series at uh, Infineon Raceway, which yep. is Sears Point, and he did really well and just probably gave everyone, uh, from what I've heard, gave everybody all sorts of room. Ran into a mechanical problem at the end, yeah. and you know got a few feathers yeah. ruffled yeah. up with that's, John uh, uh, Montoya. Yeah, I know, his name yeah. I know you mean John Power. Yeah, Juan, 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 Juan. Juan. Juan you on about Juan Pablo Montoya. The very same. What's been going on in barbecue land, JP? You must have something to say. I've been away for a week, two weeks, uh, three weeks. Nice You've had a few roasties. the other week, yeah. It's some very nice lamb cutlets. They were very good. Very expensive, though, I have to say now. I mean, you know, we were talking about, you, you said earlier about if you mentioned the price of fuel, blah, blah, blah. Well, certainly, while you've been away, prices have been rising. And it's supposedly down to uh, drought and fuel price. So... Um, I think uh, we bought about a dozen 
lamb cutlets, and that was about 20 bucks spend. A dozen lamb cutlets, well, not too bad. It? It's not too bad when you think about it, but it, I mean, compared to what we've been used to over maybe the last few years, it's certainly getting up there a bit now. Um, but no, they were very deluxe on the barbie. Uh, did them uh, just seared both sides on the hot plate, and then put them on really, really low on the uh, on the grill. Um, just sprayed them with some uh, olive oil and uh, sprinkled a bit of um, mint and then brushed them with uh, brushed them with mint vinegar while they were on and they were absolutely sensational. I'm going to give you a little bit of a taste. As oh, oh, here we go. He's dashed it's off here. It's very difficult for me to give you any of this because it's very rare and Swedish. But once I give a little bit of what a, it? a dab, it's the, it's the all-round Santa Maria grill oil. Grill oil. But uh, once you do... So what do you use it for? Well, you have put you, a little, little, little bit of a steaky it, poo in it. And we'll... You put your finger in that and have a little bit of a suck. Come on. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't mind that. Got a bit of flavour to it, isn't it? Oh, give us mm. a bit. Mm. And it separates right. up. Oh. Okay. Shake well before use. Grill oil. It's all in. Is anybody important over here? There you go, viewers. He's, yeah, he's in already. From his Apple computer yeah, business. Absolutely. We're into hey, this. I might have to tell you, this JP. Yeah. I bought a, uh, a Apple uh, iMac 24-inch the other day. Yes, I know you did because I quoted it for you. Oh, did you? <laughs> you okay, from you. <laughs> Fancy that. Oh, yeah, well, it's all right. It's all right. Oh, yeah, good. I yeah, like yeah. it. It's actually a pretty good unit, and I bought one of the top-of-the-line 3.06 gigahertz. Yes, which went, uh, which ramped it up with the two four gigabyte of RAM. A very good purchase at uh, a little bit over about $3,600. Yep. Um, amazing experience, and I suggest anybody who's thinking about buying a Mac, definitely buy the big ones, mm. uh, big the big screens. For um, what you get for your money now, for your like, you're talking three and a half grand. That's a three-year warranty as well. Um, so you get your three-year warranty. You get four gig of RAM, five hundred gig hard drive, three point oh six dual core, <laughs> Intel Core two Duo. So yeah, uh, very very good buy. Have a grill oil. A grill shot. oil. That's nice, isn't it? Don't you reckon it's good? All round. It is. It's very it's tasty. A- it's a bit. Uh, what you, I might have to try and concoct something similar. Well, I'd like you to... Can you to do a bit of HP sauce mm. and um, obviously some... Well, anyway, said we'll, sucking we'll set throat. to work onto that and check the ingredient list later on. There's heaps more to talk about, but we I think we've done our hour. Other than have I was going to say that what you oh, do yeah. need to say... While oh, I was over... Oh, no, it, I've got something else to say, okay. but go on. Yeah, you carry on. No, no. No, no, no after you. All right, well, I was just going to say, viewers, if you haven't noticed, if you were watching Top Gear on Monday, there's now an Australian Top Gear magazine. And it's sort of, I don't know. What's happened? Is this it's Top a Gear? Bit of... Is there a Top Gear show yet? No, there's no Top Gear show. Apparently, Top Gear show Australia is going to be about September, October, as far as I understand. It's a massive. Um, but this magazine, I, I thought, oh, well, this is interesting. So they've taken the best bits of the UK Top Gear magazine and they've made it Australian and apparently Clarkson's going to drive an HSV and da-da-da-da-da. And when you start work, well, it sort of doesn't, it sort of doesn't. But the disappointment for me, Johnny, was 
opening it up and looking inside and it's published by ACP magazines. Now anybody who listens to this show and is a motoring enthusiast will be aware of the fact that the two premium motoring magazines we have in this country, Motor and Wheels, are both already published by ACP. And so now we have ACP tied up with the uh, BBC, who are the publishers of the uh, Top Gear magazine, and apparently it's a joint partnership between uh, ACP magazines and, uh, and Top Gear UK. But the problem is, it's all the usual suspects. All the people you've been used to reading here, I mean, apart from the odd appearance of, of, of some of Clarkson's writing, which incidentally is, I think, fantastic. Clarkson's probably a better writer than he is a uh, TV compare. Um, if you've never read any of Clarkson's stuff before, it's very, very... Um, it's, it's got a lot more humour to it than even the way he comes across on the TV. Um, and very, very cutting and not very nice sometimes, but, but amusing nevertheless. Um, and then Hammond and, and Captain Slow do their bit too. Uh, but the rest of the writing, the Australian bits, uh, you've got people like Tim Robson, who was motor, um, Isaac Boba, who was also motor. Just a bunch of wankers uh, that have had their chance. Guys that have already written in, to do stuff in local they, stuff, they and chance. now they're back again. They're and useless. it's just like, I don't know you whether it'll work or whether it useless. won't. Useless. Lots of, lots of pages, though. Who cares? Don't, not lots interested. pages. So there you go. Um, uh, just thought I would uh, drop you over that latest copy of the Rob Report, Best of the Best. Scuderia. No, no, so, but if you, if you just flick through those pages there, so yeah. just if you, you know, people probably don't buy this magazine. You're right. Uh, and because it's it's wrapped up in plastic and it's $18.95, but it is a great magazine, which really shows you the finest of the fine products. A lot of... Um, uh, focus on motorsport and cars and pens and watches and food watches, and that's right. destinations. Really interesting. If you've got a bit Up of an interest in business, and, and certainly in, in, in uh, finer things in life. It's full of wine, yachts, cars, watches, cigars, um, yeah, the finer things in life. But, but it's good to look at because it I think there is at. a lot of relevance uh, between what we talk about there. Now, JP, I would want to tell said, you about the experience that I had before we go, because it's a bit, it's a bit tech and it's a bit motorsport, and we, we're getting on. It's time to shut off. Yeah, but, uh, shut off at, and shut uh, up. At, uh, went up to Copenhagen, to, to Lars's place, wonderful, for, a, wonderful. for a week there, yep. and um, downstairs in the basement, uh, I found uh, Lars had bought a couple of Dell XPS uh, gaming machines with <laughs> all the, the gear in it, and yeah. uh, his local... Uh, Danish PR representative, the guy that I work with who does all the Danish translation, Carsten, had uh, put uh, a, a, a great system together for him, including some like Momo seats and, and uh, yeah. Logitech steering wheels, which are full leather and steel bearings with the gear stick. And they vibrate and the, and pedals, the, yes. all the business. And, and yeah. the whole thing, really, it's the first time I've sat a proper race seat and driven a simulator with Dell. 24 inch screens with sound and based on race 07 the right. the the, uh, the the world touring car game yes and it was absolutely massively special um the feedback was really good through the hands the sound was great i felt like i was driving the car uh i drove 
some Formula 3000 cars in around, and uh, the Radical, uh, oh, the Radical. SR8s around the Macau, the twisty Macau circuit. But okay. probably my favourite circuit was uh, the Sandy uh, Dutch Zenvoet oh, circuit, Zenvoet, yeah. uh, which uh, Lars was... Um, also equally fast on until he all came on stuck on a corner. Now, the day I got away from there, he emailed me to say, uh, as I got back, oh, you should have stayed one more day uh, because it was like the, a Danish holiday evening to celebrate the, the, the last day of the winter. Right. Because the day of the Sunday was the winter solstice, or as he says, the, the longest night of darkness. As I said, oh, is this the shortest day? No, it's the longest night of darkness. Okay. Right, okay, fair enough, Lars. Oh, no, the shortest night of darkness. Yeah, the shortest, shortest night of darkness. Yeah, it has to be. Yeah, 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 that's where the land yeah. of the midnight sun and comes from. was very good, go. yes. Yeah. Well, it's not that yeah. high up that you're right. seeing the northern lights, but it was still light through the sky uh, looking off from uh, Lars's place uh, uh, towards Sweden all through the night. And I don't know what it looked like in the morning because it wasn't up that early. But um, <laughs> Surprise, surprise. Yes, a really, really good experience uh, uh, driving that. Uh, but he then, the night after I've left, uh, Carsten came around and installed the latest Le Mans 24-hour circuit, Lassar, with a Peugeot LMP1. Oh, oh wow. Now, now, Lars managed to get around there and 320, yeah. 318 for the, uh, for the Peugeots. So I went, <laughs> that'll be right. You waited till I left. Well, I said, well, that's not so bad, Lars. I'm really not uh, not too cross about that because when I got home, um, uh, CXC Simulations of uh, California had uh, delivered to me a, <laughs> uh, a new uh, C- CXC Simulation uh, setup uh, that was uh, really going to beat everything <laughs> that you had at a little under 40,000 US dollars with oh, three man. sharp aqueous screens there and complete... <laughs> Finger in the bum sensors. Oh, I reckon. It's um, just about the best setup that you could have. And in fact, Max Pappas, who we worked with, with yes, uh, and Paris in yep. 2003 yep. in the JML LMP1 program, uh, tried this at uh, Daytona. Yeah. Uh, and um, said, uh, look, uh, the Daytona 24 hour this year and said that I'm sh- I suck at this stuff, yep. but uh, this is really good. <laughs> so I suggest you have a bit of a look at it at uh, cxcsimulations.com. Looks absolutely spectacular. Because we'll be playing it. (laughs) That's it. See you later. Good night, viewers.